Trev, you and I love talking about baseball, but as much as we love talking about baseball, we love watching it in person even more. And I have good news. We're now partnering with our friends over at SeatGeek to bring listeners $20 off tickets for whatever game they want to see. Yes, $20 off. And all you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find the game you want to see. Maybe you want to go to the home opener for the National League champion Phillies. I don't blame you. I wish I could be there. And you're going to enter the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL and get 20 bucks off. Maybe you're just looking to travel to a stadium you haven't ever been to this summer. See some big league action. Last summer, I got to see Sandy Alcantara. It was very exciting. I've been a big fan. I had never seen him throw. And this summer, I can go see him again. You could go see him. All you have to do is go to SeatGeek, enter the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL, and you'll get $20 off your first ticket buy. SeatGeek, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. Do it this summer. Go check some games out. By Riverside. Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're here for our college baseball episode number four with week four in the rearview mirror. And we have Leah Van who covers LSU baseball and football. Don't worry, Dan and I already got that out of the way for The Advocate. Leah, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, y'all. So the first question I've got to ask for you, and this was Dan and I came up with this on a collaborative what was it like covering Brian Kelly's fake accent in the TikTok video? <laughs> well, we didn't really pay much attention to that. We didn't really, I don't know. I, I feel like that was something that was like a little bit overdone. Of course. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I think Brian Kelly's like a fun interview. And I think that we learn a lot from him. He's been a little bit, I think he's been more um, kind of likes to be that like cool dad who's not really that cool. Um, kind of guy like he jokes around with us all the time in press conferences and stuff and we're like okay that was like kind of funny Um, but yeah I mean he's quirky that's just who he is but you know hey he had a pretty successful good like first season it, that he did there, there's no doubt about that yeah, he really, I mean, he, he definitely, uh, after that moment, which you're absolutely right, because of the powers of social media got blown way out of proportion. He really turned it around. I mean, they had an unbelievable year for a team that didn't have many expectations. But we're here to talk about baseball, so we'll <laughs> we'll transition as much as I could keep going. Um, obviously, LSU right now, and I think that me and Trevor talked about this, they just look like the best team in the country. And um, I know uh, you live in a place where expectations are, uh, you know, something that every fan has down there. Um, what's it like, the vibe around the team right now and, and kind of the expectations that they're carrying of being the best team in, in the sport right now and, and, you know, staying in their process instead of looking too far ahead? Yeah, that's something that Jay Johnson really harps on is like, the opponents are we, we we like to make fun of him for this, but he's like every opponent is nameless and faceless, and but they truly do take that to heart. And um, I think you could see. I mean, I think they've gone through six of their last seven games were mercy rule, like so you know, and I think like the seventh one should have been, but it wasn't, you know, or the eighth one actually. But 
Um, the seventh would have been Lamar, but yeah, it's just, um, they are a very confident, but very like even keeled group of people. And that was kind of the foundation that Jay was building last year was kind of the, the mental side of like staying within yourself, like hitters staying within your approach and like not chasing after you've hit a couple of home runs and gotten some confidence and stuff. And so I feel like a lot of them, um, they're confident in themselves. They know that w- what they're capable of. They know that they're the number one team in the country, but they're not going to like brag about it. Right. They're just going to kind of, uh, they're just going to be like, here's what our game plan was and here's what we executed. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the Jay Johnson way is to really stay focused and like level headed. I, you know, I think, I don't think there's ever, I don't think there's been a moment yet this season in which they've kind of gotten out of themselves and, in their heads. I think they lost to Iowa because it was just a bad game. And that's how baseball is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's not going to be like what Tennessee was last year. Um, you know, like they're a fun team, but mm-hmm. they know how to kind of keep it, keep it low key. <laughs> you mentioned a lot about obviously coach Jay Johnson there and, from I, I, I was a hitting coach in the college game, and obviously Jay Johnson's one of the best in the business. He's he's built elite offenses everywhere he's been. He was doing it at Arizona right before he took the LSU job. So my question for you is, was this in your perspective? Obviously, you see it on a day-to-day basis. I mean, transitioning from Palmineri, who was a legend and won so many baseball games and built so many championship-caliber teams – that's hard shoes to fill. Was this a, what you would say a slam dunk hire for LSU getting Jay Johnson? I think so far from a recruiting standpoint and from, you know, what we've seen this year. Yes. Um, Like last year was, you could see it was a rebuilding year, right? Like there were a bunch of transfers kind of filling in some holes, especially on the pitching side, like lots of bullpen guys didn't really have a true starter had like one guy that, you know, Mikhail Hilliard was six year senior. That was the Friday night starter. He did a fantastic job, but he's not like your typical SEC Friday night starter. Um, so what he had to work with and then what he brought with him, like Jacob Berry and uh, Bryce Collins and Riley Cooper, you know, I think he did the best that any first year head coach could do. I mean, I think they would have liked to have won the regional, but you know, it came down to that final game and they competed well. I think they competed against a team that had better pitching at the end of the day. Um, and so then he kind of went on a mission this this past offseason and was like, all right, I'm going to go get some of the best pitchers in the nation because I know that I'm not going to win games in the SEC without a starting rotation. And that's exactly what he did. So, I mean, I don't know if you call it like a slam dunk hire yet. I think he's the right guy for this team because, you know, it's LSU and it's something that he's always dreamt about. Like there's, if you ask Jay Johnson, there's nothing else in the world he's ever wanted to be other than a college baseball coach, like literally college baseball. And, um, you know, he love. I think he also instills discipline and I think in Paul Maneri's like later years, some of the reporters that I talked to who covered him said that, you know, yeah, like sometimes he was a little bit too like open with some of his game plans and like, you know, some of the injuries on the team. And sometimes you didn't see like the hustle or like kind of the taking the off season 
um, to work together. Like something that was unique this season was all of the LSU players reported back in early January to work together before real practices started just to go hit BP and like, just go be at the field together and, you know, like hang out. And so like, that's a sign of like, you're building a team. And so I think that, yeah, like he was a good hire. I think, you know, he did some great things for Arizona also, you know, like was he coached Chris Bryant back in the day in California. Like he's got the resume. Yeah, he he did a phenomenal job at Arizona. I mean, that team that he left was loaded. I mean, you mentioned Jacob Berry, and obviously he's now in the professional ranks, a first-round pick, but it wasn't just him on that team, and, and they scored a lot of runs, and they made a lot of pitching staffs worried going into a weekend. And, you know, his resume is great. And and I think what you mentioned about just the big picture of the discipline that he's instilling, the process oriented nature of everything. And the fact that he has always dreamed of being a college baseball coach. Well, LSU is the pinnacle of being a college baseball coach. I mean, Skip Bertman, Paul Maneri, like that, that's the Mount Rushmore to some people of college baseball coaching and to hear him that bought into what he's doing there is that says to me that he's at least the right guy for the job, like you said right now. And one of the things you mentioned there that I definitely wanted to get your perspective on was obviously you mentioned going into the off season, wanting to add pitching. And there was one specific name that they added that might not get the weekend rotation love that some of those arms are that they're throwing out there. And that's Wes Johnson. And for baseball people, they know the Wes Johnson name um, because obviously he was in professional baseball for a while and he did a phenomenal job at that level. So a, if you could break down how that happened, because that came as a surprise to just people like Dan and I who weren't in the know of the inner workings of that decision and B what's the impact been since he's gotten to town. Yeah. So I think he actually, I think, Jay wanted Wes to begin with when he first got hired and Wes was not yet ready to leave the twins. Um, And so when got Jason Kelly, Jason Kelly did a fantastic job with the bolt and especially like just with what he had to work with, obviously he's now head coach at Washington for a reason. Um, Then this summer, I know like he, I know he interviewed like Southern Mrs. Coach, I think, um, because obviously like he saw, he saw their pitching and they were pretty good. I think there was another guy from one of the North Carolina schools that that was in the mix. But like Wes was like the number one like target. And Wes, you know, before he went and coached professional baseball, had coached at Arkansas had coached at Mississippi State. And so he knows the SEC. He knows what it's like to be a college coach and his family's here. Um, and so he's got like kids who are, and he's now has grandkids. And so he wants to be closer to home and, you know, he kind of had felt like he had done the pro baseball thing. And so it was like, the timing was right. And, um, yeah, like it just kind of came together. It's, um, you know, it's not a lot more details than that, but. Well, I just remember how, like, it was just kind of shocking because, again, like I'm being on the outside and obviously, you know, following Major League Baseball as close as you do, you're like, Wes Johnson's going back to college? Like he was just – I mean, he was doing such a great job in Minnesota. And to me, that hire is like – that was a whoa moment because, you know, when you look at pitching coaches in the country, it's like Wes Johnson and Matt Hobbs, right, who Hobbs replaced Wes Johnson when he went to the Twins. Um, 
And so like that was such a big hire for me. And then you see kind of how it's starting to play out with some of these arms. Talk a little bit about kind of the experience of every Friday night so far, getting to see Paul Skeen's throw and just like how dominant he's been um, through the first 16 games, through his first four starts. So, yeah, I'll touch on the Wes Johnson thing. It was shocking. It was definitely shocking. I was like, is this real life? Are they really going to? Like, when I first, like, when my sources were telling me, they were like, yeah, they're targeting Wes Johnson. I was like, there's no, fr- there's no way. Like, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Well, like, way to be ambitious. Good job, Jay. Uh, but then he got him. Um, but I think it's because LSU has, like, a, the Marucci pitching lab here and all the all the technology that Wes loves to work with that he had at the professional level. Um, and again, like he just wanted to be closer to family. You really can't fault anybody for that. And that, I think that's a good enough explanation in itself. And I think we asked him so many times that he got annoyed with us, but you know, that is, that is the core reason why he wanted to get back to college baseball was he wanted more time with his family and he wanted to be in the SEC where he was geographically closer to them. Um, Paul Skeens has been really incredible to watch. Um, you know, it's it's just it's always something like, you know, when you see him throw the ball, you know, when it's over 100 miles an hour, like you can see it just like players just kind of standing there and like didn't even realize like the ball just went past them. And, um, you know, he's been working on that that slider, which I think was something that he needed to develop and was something that was kind of his goal coming to LSU because he literally told us, he's like, I just kind of threw a slider. I didn't really know what it was. I just kind of thought it was a slider and I threw it. And then he came to LSU and he learned what he had been throwing was a gyro slider and switched to the sweeping slider, which as y'all know is better for like a lower arm slot kind of guy. And so he's really been perfecting that. And he's got a slider that hits like the upper eighties, like the 86 to 88 miles an hour. And so he's really like throwing off, you know, right-handed batters, especially, but um, he's thrown it to lefties now more. Um, so he's progressed, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's the poise. It's also the efficiency. Like where do you see him like, you know, behind in the count, you know, and um, it's just how quickly the innings go by, which if you know anything about LSU baseball last year, there were like six pitching changes per game it's just a completely different game when you can throw some guy out there and you know he's going to get like 10 strikeouts, which he has his four straight appearances has had double-digit strikeouts. He never had that at Air Force. So you know that some of that is from Coach Wes Johnson. Um, and he's a very like confident and well-spoken guy, like, obviously coming from a service academy, um, very thankful for his opportunities and stuff like that. And so – I feel like he's very analytical when he speaks to us. And, um, yeah, you can just see the poise and the confidence in him on the mound. You mentioned that he didn't have this, possess these weapons at Air Force. Is he better than advertised from what you were expecting? Or was this hype kind of – I know we hear about fall hype meters, especially with draft guys. Was this kind of building and then it was just a matter of by the time he stepped on the mound come – you know, February 14th, whatever day it was exactly, it was like, hey, this is just the world seeing what we already know. I think like his draft stock actually started to increase like in the fall, like when he was working with Wes and like the scouts were starting to see like what his slider was turning into. Um, I think the hype, like I think it's warranted and I think it's real. Like I think, um, you know, we still haven't seen him take on an SEC lineup. So I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I also think that I've, you know, pitchers like 
with that level of confidence, it's hard to not believe that they're going to be good. And I feel like I've covered a lot. I mean, I've covered a lot of pitchers last year and like some of them you can visibly see when their outing affected them. And like, not that Paul's had a bad outing cause he hasn't like, maybe he walked a guy and you're like, Oh no, like he walked a guy for the first time in two games. Like, but he's just like so collected and together. I think really, and that's what Jay Johnson has said. That's what Wes Johnson has said is like, there's something about his poise on the mound that makes you like, without a doubt in your mind, like Paul is going to get out of a jam. He's going to retire this batter. Like, there's something about his mindset. So I think, you know, I don't know if you'd say like better than advertised yet. I think he he got pretty well advertised. And so mm-hmm. he's also now been SEC pitcher of the week twice. So, you know, and he's throwing over a hundred miles an hour. People know that um, in the fall, he was throwing like 98. And then all of a sudden, you know, the warm weather hits and we're in the spring. He's at the peak of his development. And now he's hitting consistently hundred mile an hour fastballs. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think it's pretty warranted. You can speak for this better than I since you lived out there for a little bit, but pitching in the early season in Air Force is a little bit different than pitching in the early season in LSU. So the warm weather definitely makes a difference from that from that perspective. And for anybody who's wondering, March 30th at in Baton Rouge, Paul Skeens versus Chase Dolander will be must view television on ESPNU at 8 p.m. I just looked it up to confirm that that was the stuff. So that's going to be a very exciting weekend and, and definitely the best pitching matchup that you could see um, for, through the course of the year. And one of the questions, I, I don't know if it was a tweet from you or if it was just something I saw in my timeline, but I believe Jay Johnson said something at least in the realm of there's no need for Paul Skeens to be hitting so he's not hitting what like basically is the gist of it. And obviously when you're pitching to a sub one ERA with 48 strikeouts and four walks and 20 innings, you don't need to pitch or you don't need to hit, but is there any elaboration beyond that? Or is this lineup just so good and he's so good on the mound that it's just don't even worry about it. Yeah. So um, it like, we did get to see him hit a little bit in the fall and like, I, I got to see a Paul Skeen's home run and like, maybe that's, and that's the only time I get to see that. Uh, <laughs> feel blessed. Um, but, you know, yeah, I asked him because I was kind of like, man, you got like Jared Jones has six home runs. Did like, you know, watch like, you know, he hit like four and sh- straight consecutive at bats. And then he's a true freshman. You're not even talking about Dylan Cruz, who's on like a 14, 15 game hitting streak. And then you've got Tommy White, who was the freshman of the year home run, the, fre- the NCAA freshman home run leader record holder. Um, I mean, you've got all these guys who can rake. Why risk the injury, you know, putting Paul in that position? And then there's guys that are in the dugout, quite frankly, like Cade Beloso. He's a huge veteran for this team and he's hit a couple home runs. Like, you know, there is no need truly to have him at the plate but like at the same time maybe later in the season like there will be an opportunity but yeah I think that Jay has said like Jay said he's like I just I just don't need him like it's hard enough to kind of for him to put together the lineup right now with all the talent that he has like it's a bad I mean it's a good problem to have right um but I just think like he's going to be very protective of his Friday night starter because that was the thing that really held LSU back last year. 
What a, yeah, what a luxury to be able to just have all these names to pick from. I mean, you're essentially looking at like, you know, they're, they're a lot, how many of those guys are going to be probably all conference when the season's, you know, all done and, and he gets to throw them in, in the lineup every day. And, you know, you had mentioned earlier how all of them kind of seem to have that, that confidence, but it's a quiet confidence. And to me, what's impressive about that is they did bring in a lot of guys who are making a big impact this year, you know, whether it's Skeens or Tommy White, like you mentioned, or Thatcher Heard, Christian Little, like, they they brought a lot of new faces onto campus, but they've all seemed to gel. One, talk about kind of those additions and how impactful they have been, but also is that kind of – does that speak to Jay Johnson and how good he is at pulling the group together? Is that kind of the vibe you've gotten of like, well, these guys are all new and it's not like they're culture guys in their third, fourth year with Jay Johnson. These are all new guys and they've all kind of meshed together and it's going really well. I think that was the most surprising thing to me was when we heard in the fall and like even we've heard this in the spring preseason, like – all the players will say, this is the closest team I've ever been on, which, okay, they're going to say that every year. But, like, you can visibly tell how much, like, they're rooting for each other and, like, just their attitudes in the dugout. Like, you look at the dugout and they're all just, like, you know, you might see, like, a a starting a guy in the starting lineup, you know, hanging out with, like, a true freshman who's probably going to redshirt and hasn't played. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of – that's, like, the team vibe – um, I think it does speak to Jay because I think he tells guys like, here's what I need you to do. He's up front. Like he tells them this is how much you're going to play or, you know, this is how, this is how I plan to use you. And I hope that you like that. Like, you know, and I hope you stick around because if you do, we're going to win a national championship. And so that's kind of the promise and that's kind of the pitch to every guy. So even if you're not starting, if you're not starting lineup, if you're not maybe like the first guy out of the bullpen, like or second guy out of the bullpen, it's like, Hey, you're going to get a ring though. And um, also I just think that he, he said in this speech too, like, I think there was a season. I don't remember which season of national championships. I just read the book and I don't remember. Um, but like the photo or the front page from the national championship that LSU won, I think it was 2009. Um, the guy who's like flying at the top of the dog pile was the guy who didn't even start. And so he was like, that's kind of what I tell my guys is like, this may not be your time, but like there, and he listed off all these players who didn't start during like their national championship year. And then like came back a few years later and like, were still on the team and waited their turn. And then, they were in the starting lineup for the national championship. So that's like the pitch to the younger guys. And as far as the older guys, he's like, I need your leadership. Like Cade Beloso and Gavin Dugas are both true. They're like fifth year seniors. And of course, like Gavin is now the starting second baseman. And he's been absolutely raking this year because he's healthy. And he has like, he had eye surgery and he's all good. But like originally it wasn't thought that he was going to be starting. And so, he kind of was like, I need your leadership because I need a national championship. I think those two guys being there and saying, hey, this is the standard and we've been here for five years. And if we're saying it's the standard, then it's the standard, even if it is new. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, when I asked Jay, because he said this a lot, he said players make the biggest jump from the first to second year under a head coach like him. And, you know, he brings in all these guest speakers on teamwork. He has them read books. Like, you know, there's all these little, like, intimate things that he won't tell us that they do for bonding. But, you know, um, yeah, I think that's been really surprising because last year they brought in a lot of transfers too, like Paul Gervais, Eric Razelman, 
Jacob Berry, Bryce Collins, Riley Cooper. And like they gelled, but I wouldn't like you could tell that there were kind of like groups, right? Um, kind of like walking, even walking on and off the field. But now it's like everybody's kind of together. You've got all the guys who are lining up behind the pitcher, throwing his warm-ups. Um, you know, the additions, as far as the additions specifically, Thatcher Hurd is another guy that's going to work his way into the weekend starting rotation. He just made his first Sunday start, and he got SEC Pitcher of the Week. Um you know, he's got, he's a little bit more crafty. He's got a weird curveball. He's got a slider. He's got a changeup that's pretty different than most. And so um, he's been a great addition. And he's only, he only played his freshman, he only played nine games his freshman year at UCLA because he got hurt. Um, and then you've got Paul Skeens, who's kind of like the older guy, right? Who's going to be a first round draft pick. So everybody's going to listen to him. And um, also he's got that discipline coming from, you know, an Air Force Academy. Um, Tommy White just kind of like he's just bought in because he gets to be with Dylan Cruz. And, you know, like Dylan was once like, you know, Dylan, Tommy White kind of similar, like came on the scene their freshman year and are like a big impact player. Um, And so, you know they know what their roles are and they're like second and third, you know, batting third and fourth or second and third in the lineup. So, um, you know, everybody respects a power hitter. And then you've got the true freshman who just kind of like, like Jerry Jones and Paxton Kling. I mean, Kling just brings this element of athleticism that like they didn't have last year. Like this is a guy who can actually steal some bases and he adds like, it's like having another Dylan Cruz in the outfield. Like they, he has a little bit more speed than Cruz. Um, but like, you know, Cruz is a little bit more technically better, like, you know what I mean, as far as his paths and stuff. And so um, yeah, I mean, that's a long-winded way of saying like it's been kind of surprising how well they've gelled. Yeah, and I mean, I was already bought into Jay Johnson as a as a coach to begin with, but the more you speak, it's, that's true culture building. The things that he's doing, the way he goes about his business, and the way he's bringing these guys together. And you know, Dan was Dan played on regional teams at the Division two level. He coached regional teams at the Division two level. I was lucky enough to coach on regional teams in both levels, and that's the difference, right? And it's culture building. It's whether you're in banking or whether you're in baseball, it's good leadership's able to bring a group of people together. And I remember being asked this question as I was going through job interviews was like, what's the most important thing in a team to win? And it's selflessness. It's the ability for a fifth year senior to come back understanding that they might not be a starter on a day-to-day basis. But what's impressing me the most as you talk about Jay Johnson's impact of that is communication side of things. It's, it's easy to preach selflessness if you're not being open and communicating guys like, hey, you might not play and the transfer portal's right there. You can put your name in it and you can be gone within a week. We have 10 kids coming in, but we want you here. You have a value. I always used to say that the worst thing for a player to do is to find out what a coach thinks of them by the lineup card. You shouldn't find out that coach doesn't like you when your name's not in the lineup card. You should find out in his office in December before you even get to winter workouts and get to spring ball. And so kind of go into a little bit of from what you know, obviously you're not in the locker room on a day-to-day basis on that line of communication. And has that kind of been the reason why the culture's built up already? Yeah, um, I think so. I think everybody like... 
yeah, the selflessness is something that he preaches a lot. And he finds concrete examples of that paying off, right? And so I think that's I think that's key is like, hey, you might end up like this past LSU player who waited his turn. Or hey, you you're not like you're gonna be my leader and I just need you to win a ring. Like and you're every bit as like he makes everybody feel important. I think that's what you want out of a coach. Um, and I think that's like, from my understanding, that's how the players are. And just the fact that like, like I told y'all earlier, uh, they all reported back early together and nobody went and just like trained with their own hitting coaches in their respective States until like, until school started, they came back two weeks before school was back in session. Some guys like Christian little only left for two days. He left for Christmas and that was it. He came back and he, he got back to work. And so everybody was on campus well before those spring practices started. And I think that that's a unique thing. And um, that not only builds like the team bonding, but it also like breeds competitiveness. Right. And cause it, like a healthy amount of competitiveness is good. Like getting in the, you know, there's like guys who are like Braden Joe bear. Sometimes he's in the lineup. Sometimes he's not Ben Nepal. Sometimes he's in the lineup and sometimes he's not. And the funny thing is, and Jay will say this in interviews, is like, I can inter- I can interchange a couple guys in the lineup and still get their same result. And he's like, I love that because there will be situations where somebody gets hurt or there will be situations where somebody's got to sit out a game and I'm expecting for that next man up to do just as well, to produce the same result. And I think we saw last year, um, a good example was they went to Alabama and they had basically one available catcher and that was Tyler McManus and Alex Malazzo was basically out for season. And then Hayden Travinsky, who was the other catcher I knew had a concussion. (laughs) And so he was in under concussion protocol, but still traveled with the team to kind of give the image that they had another catcher. What happens to Tyler McManus? Well, he like jams a finger or something, uh, while catching and all of a sudden they need another catcher and they don't have one. And they had drew Bianco, who was kind of this utility, everything player, as you know, Mike Bianco's son um, goes like I've caught before. So I guess, you know, he's, but he had been training to be kind of that like emergency catcher for a couple of weeks. And he had to catch for like two innings at Alabama And I think that, you know, that's another example of like, I don't want to be in that situation again. So here's the thing. You may not be the starting catcher, but we may be in Tuscaloosa and we might need a catcher. You know what I mean? So, you know, the way that the culture sounds like it's, it's obviously clicking on all cylinders, the talent levels there. I know what the fan base thinks, and I could probably wait to ask this question, but in your opinion, is this a championship or bust team? Man, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> I am. I'm sorry. We haven't even started conference play, but we might not get to talk to you again for the rest of the year. So I'm just curious. Like, do you see? Does this? Does this kind of feel like that type of team to you? I think so. I think that's the expectation. Um, yeah. Not just from fans, but just in the ball club. Like, you know, it's Dylan Cruz's last year. Right. It's going to be Paul Skeen's last year. Um, you know, you'll have another year with Tommy White and Thatcher Hurd, sure, but like you have all these dudes, as they say, <laughs> at the same time. 
And like they had the number one freshman recruiting class, the number one transfer portal class. It is built like a championship team. It is built to win in Omaha. And so not just to have like, I mean, even when you ha- we think about the pitching, I mean, you know, when you're playing, say, like four or five games in a very short amount of time and you go through your entire starting rotation, you still got Christian Little. He can start. You still got Nate Ackenhausen. He can start. You still have Chase Shores. He can start. You know, like, you know, like, um, and then the lineup is the lineup. Like, it's going to rake. And so, yeah, I think that's the expectation. I think they have every right to have that expectation. Um, because people have said, like, is it unreasonable? Like, no, it's not unreasonable, but it is college baseball and anything can happen. And so, yes, the expectations are warranted. Does that mean it's going to happen? No, right. Because it's college baseball and weird things happen. Weird things happen way too much. Like it, you mentioned Tennessee a couple times, but like I thought that team was, and again, you realize when you're in college baseball, you know, weird things happen, but still you watch this team that looks like a freight train running to, and they can't even get to Omaha, Arkansas the year before. I mean, Kevin Cobbs, who's the best pitcher in the country blows the lead, like wrapping your brain around like the best player, not executing and again he was eight and two thirds into an outing when he hadn't gone over more than five but still like it's it's kind of crazy to understand and wrap your head around the you know I always say MLB playoffs is a crapshoot but you want to see a crapshoot it's college baseball but who makes it to the World Series it's just a race to see who can be healthiest who can get the best outing who can get the best you know lineup performance I mean Michigan went all the way to the World Series riding a, a heater on an offense that didn't hit for the whole year and then they just show up in June when the weather gets warm and you know you mentioned the depth of the rotation and and I was you answered the question which was really awesome to kind of hear you go right into what I was going to ask but obviously Grant Taylor was supposed to be a a huge piece for this team. And and when you talk about the depth, imagining another draft eligible guy in the top 100 of a draft being available, it's crazy to think about how has the impact been um, since he obviously went down with the injury and, and how have they filled his shoes a little bit? Yeah. And from what I've heard um, from how he performed in the Cape Cod league this summer and um, what Jay was saying about him in preseason, like he was expected to be in that starting rotation. Um, I think that means that Ty Floyd steps up and he is fine. Like he started a little bit last year at the beginning and then he kind of w- fell off and then he came back in the end and was a starter again. So I think, you know, that means that Ty Floyd kind of gets his spot in the weekend rotation. Um, you know, and that the other thing is, is like Grant Taylor is coming back next year. So, like, he may not be ready when the season starts, but that means LSU already has a pitcher who is going to stick with them and could be a weekend rotation guy next year. And so, or, you know, the year, I don't know if, you know, he'll be draft eligible next year too. So it's like, okay. Um, So I think, yeah, it's a huge blow, but I think they have the depth to deal with it, um, luckily. And, um, yeah, I mean, Ty Floyd took that Saturday spot this past weekend and he did well. So, um, they've got true freshman Chase Shores that they've been also putting on the mound on a couple of Sundays just to like say, Hey, like you're probably going to be a Friday night starter soon. It's not this year, but we're going to get you ready. And so 
Um, maybe that just means that Chase Shores develops a little bit sooner into the guy that he's expected to be. And so, um, yeah, I think that's a huge impact. I think the other thing to add to your point about these teams in the College World Series, like look at Ole Miss last year. Like they were not good the first like half of the season. And then all of a sudden they go on and they win it all. And then you look at like Auburn last year, like Sonny DeShera came out of nowhere. Like that's what we don't know yet is we don't know who the unknown stars are and those come out of anywhere. And so like even, you know, East Carolina has a really good team. And so, and there's a couple pitchers there that like maybe we don't know about. And so, or there, maybe there's some guys in their lineup that we don't know about. So those are some of the unknowns that I think can, that you don't get with like the preseason, like number one rankings, right. That could impact your path to the, to Omaha. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, so, and me and Trevor have talked about this before on here and, and, you know, you kind of mentioned it when you're talking about the staff and they've, you know, kind of thrown guys in different spots and they want to see how they react. And, and we've always talked about like getting to conference play. Like you kind of want to have things set as you get to conference play and have an idea of what guys can do when you get there. So we're knocking on the door of conference play now. What do you see as kind of the biggest question mark for their pitching staff? Is it bullpen depth? Is it where guys slot out in the starting rotation? What do you kind of see as like, oh man, this could be something that could bite them as far as the pitching goes? I'm curious to know how they're going to use Christian Little. Um, He's been kind of in this middle reliever role um, or, you know, kind of just closing games because they've only needed like one, like two or three pitchers really, especially when these run rule games. Um, so I'm kind of curious to know what his role is going to be, how long he's going to extend. I think his longest outing was like still maybe like four innings, which isn't bad. Like, um, so I'm curious to know if he's ever going to work into the weekend rotation or if he's going to just be a guy that comes in after another guy, which I think would still be advantageous and could still impact more games being that way. Um, the bullpen last year was a huge advantage. I think it's still pretty, I think it's still pretty deep this year. Uh, you've got a lot of, you've got some freshmen like Griffin Herring, who's like a lefty who will probably, he's Jason's be pretty high on him. Um, and says that he might be a future starter. So he's in the bullpen. You've got Riley Cooper, who's pretty reliable. And then you've got a couple other guys that like Bryce Collins hasn't had like his best year yet. Um, and so he's been a little shaky. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it would be the bullpen is the biggest question. Um, I'm curious how they'll also use Chase Shores because after they started him for like three Sundays, they put Thatcher Hurd in that Sunday spot. So now I'm wondering if they're going to start him on Tuesdays for midweeks. Um, and then, or if they're going to use him as a closer because Chase Shores can throw 98, 99. So I don't know. Maybe he could be better used if he's able to impact more games. And so I'm curious to know basically some of these guys who could be starters, like how they're going to use those guys. It's so crazy because in college baseball, you go through a whole season with these handful of guys. You know, you have your Paul Skeens, you have your Thatcher Hurds, you have your Ty Floyds of the world, and then you just roll them out through the weekend. You have your top bullpen arms. And then next thing you know, you're in a regional and you're in game five, you've burned all those guys, you've burned all your bullpen arms, and then you have to throw some guy out there who nobody's ever heard of. And 
as you kind of speak more through these names, it makes me kind of more comfortable and believing in LSU when that time of year comes around, because one of the craziest thing in college sports, especially in the power five level is the freshmen with elite stuff that you have no idea what it's going to look like when they come out of the bullpen, they could either throw 98 in the strike zone, get a ton of swings and misses and be an elite reliever and stretch out and then pitch in a regional. I mean, we saw Kumar rocker and he hit his stride in regionals in super regionals and pitched his best in the college world series that's very common for freshmen so when you look at the talent i guess is the best way to say it is that kind of what lsu's hanging their hat on is we have a lot of talented guys that have elite stuff and if some of them figure out how to get it in the strike zone we believe in this bullpen and obviously christian little's a weapon of his own because we know he has elite stuff we know it can play as a starter and a reliever and it's really just a matter of where you want to place him yeah and i mean there's even like nate Ackenhausen is a junior college transfer from oklahoma and um he's been very impressive out of the bullpen and so I think he also might have – his longest outing might have been three innings, so I don't know, but he might have started at the junior college level. So um, there's guys like that. I think, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of discovering what um, what is there when it comes to the postseason. And I think it's good that they have multiple guys who can throw – more than like two innings um, because yeah. that was not the case last year. That was like you had – Paul Gervais, who maybe his longest outing was three innings, and then, like, Eric Razelman was, like, two innings. Like, you had um, just a, you had a bunch of relievers, and now you have a bunch of starters. And so that, I think, is a much better situation. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, when you can recruit the talent, through the transfer portal or through freshmen that LSU is able to recruit, especially with West Johnson. I mean, if I was a high school pitcher and West Johnson called me, I, I'm signing up. There's well, no that's doubt the thing is that. most of them, most of them committed out of the transfer portal without knowing that West Johnson was going to be the pitching coach. That's crazy. So I don't know what type of salesman stuff <laughs> Johnson's pulling out of his like pocket. I know that LSU is like a great baseball crowd and everything, yeah. but. You're competing with, you know, the dude at, at like in Mississippi State and mm-hmm. you know, Ole Miss who just won the World Series. And you're bringing these guys who are not only like turning down the draft, but also turning down other D1 programs. Yeah. And you're right about that. I mean, Jay Johnson's always been a great recruiter, but I guess if someone, if he just said, Hey, trust me, like that could go one of two ways, but I'm sure some guys signed up with just being like, Oh, I'll just trust Jay Johnson. I know I I at least hear who he's interviewing or, or who he has in mind. And that's enough to put my faith in it. So we do want to talk about some of the offenses. Well, I know we spent a lot of time on pitching here and you've mentioned him multiple times. He's who, everybody thinks of when you think of LSU baseball and you were lucky enough to get to know Dylan a little bit through writing a piece for, for the advocate. So what's Dylan Cruz, what's it like to watch Dylan Cruz on a day-to-day, day-to-day basis? I mean, he's averaging a hundred plus exit velocity in game, which is just mind boggling to think about. Well, yeah. And he's, he's on like a 15 game hitting streak. Like, you know, he's gonna, he also has, has reached base in every single game this season. So um, it's like the consistency is amazing. And then I think, you know, 
it's funny. I've only covered this team. This is my second year. And it's funny, like, to see his transformation personally, like, from one year to the next. Like, the way he comes into interviews is so different now and the way he talks. And he's just, like, confident but also, like, happy and excited. And, like, he's just kind of – he embraces the pressure, which I think is something that um, is hard to do. I mean, I work a high-pressure job and I – crack all the time so like I don't know how he handles being Dylan Cruz but he somehow manages to be Dylan Cruz um you know that's like kind of what's the most endearing to me is I'll be walking out after well after my you know writing my story getting my deadline done you know it's probably about an hour or two after the game I'm walking out of the ballpark and Dylan Cruz is carrying a case of water when a little kid is out there, like the last kid at the ballpark waiting for his autograph. And he's the one that like puts down the case of water and signs the ball and shakes the mom's hand and says, hi, I'm Dylan Cruz. Like he, like the hype is real. Like from the, on the field standpoint, you know, he's going to get on base. He's going to rake like his bat swing is beautiful. Uh, You know, he like sh- he went back to shortening his stance this year. He had a wider stance last year, and he said that it was something that like it was a suggestion. He thought he would kind of take on, and then he was like, "Ah, I don't feel like I'm as good with this stance." Like, but he still was is the thing. Like you get like multiple things work for Dylan Cruz, right? Like it's kind of just an art, and so. Yeah, I think he's just got this poise and this confidence about him this year. Knowing that it's his last year, you can see that he's, like, savoring every moment of it. And also, he's on a mission. Like, he wants to bring a national championship to LSU. He wants to be an LSU legend. What What's fascinating to me is, is when you see kids at that level who are the star and everyone knows they're the star, be able to take it in stride. Because at the end of the day, right, we're still talking about college kids. He's 21 years old and, and, you know, that's, it's not an easy place to be in and getting that attention can be hard. And, you know, oftentimes, sadly, you'll see guys who had a really big sophomore year and they start to get expectations piled up on them. And then, you know, they take a step back the next year because it it can be a lot. Um, You you obviously got to know him a little bit and you're around him. What's kind of the DNA there that allows him to kind of be able to take things in stride and be able to just continue to get better as a baseball player and, and, to me, it sounds when I hear stories about the guy who's setting down the case of water and signing an autograph and shake, he's able to separate. He's not just the baseball player. Like there's a person in there that that has an identity away from that, and so he's not just so consumed by his statistics, where he's just a person. Um, kind of what's that DNA and what's the background like that kind of allows him to be that way? It's kind of the way he was raised was like go like I don't care what you go do like be the best at it like go be. Um, you know, and be a good person. Um, And he kind of like, you know, his family's very wealthy, but he kind of started training in this very humble way. And that was like hitting at this rundown warehouse in Orlando um, with this like old Met scout that was like 80 years old um, throwing BP and like doing all these crazy drills that they do in like the Dominican Republic. Like, you know, just, um, you know, hitting, a, using a weighted bat and hitting a tire, like, and, and you know, and taking like, and swinging at ping pong balls with a PVC pipe. Like he kind of worked his way into this. And I think what he does is he trusts his work ethic. Cause he's like, okay, if I come in here and I give it my all, that's all I can do. 
And you got to understand that like he would have been a first or second round draft pick out of high school. And so there were scouts and guys at his games, like starting freshman year of high school, like, or even sooner than that, like he got his first college offer in eighth grade at a travel ball tournament. And so I think when you start getting that attention from a very young age, you have to kind of learn how to deal with it. And he also, he also is like, I do want to be a professional baseball player. And he's like, so in order to do that, I need to keep doing what I'm doing that makes me on that path. And he did have a hard, I think, senior year of high school where he kind of was striking out a lot. He was facing some better pitching over the summer. It kind of dropped his draft stock and, you know, it made him kind of not lose his love for baseball, but it kind of got to him a little bit. And I think that was his piece of adversity and, um, you know, then he also lost his first hitting coach. His first hitting coach like died of old age. And, um, you know, he feels he's always very connected to people. He like his family is very welcoming. That's just like who he is. And so I think that really impacted him, too, because he was like, I'm going to do this for Mo, like my first hitting coach. And I want to open my own hitting facility. And if I can open my own hitting facility, I have to be able to pay for it. So I'm going to be a professional mm-hmm. baseball player, right? Like there's all these little things about Dylan Cruz that make him who he is. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of kids, if you can survive getting through that kind of attention in high school and then continue to succeed in college, like then you're going to go far. Um, but I think it's just a matter of him trusting what he does. And he's a very chill guy. Otherwise. Um, I mean, in high school, he was going to high school for like four hours a day and then he'd go train and then he'd come back for high school baseball practice. So like he's all, and he, then he had like online classes in the evenings. So like he had a whole system built for him to be successful and also it was a system that's like not the most fun high school experience. And, you know, like it's just, you know, he's just kind of learned that like if I want something, I have to work for it. I mean, that's incredible. And I mean, hum- humble beginnings and being a good person like that right there. Like is you just gave us a ton of good stuff, but humble beginnings and being a good person can take you a long way no matter what I feel like. And, and I mean, for anyone who wants to know there's a first you know a, a first overall pick probably come come this summer who's who's doing things like that and and being able to be connected to people on that level like that that i think also can carry you um you know this is obviously he's he's the guy who makes it go right he's what i used to call the party starter in lineups when, when you would look at a team and to me he's the party starter but who then becomes the next most important guy in your opinion behind him is it jared jones is it tommy white and you know because this is an offense that has a ton of talent they hit a ton of home runs you know they don't run a lot and do some of those other things that you see some teams do they've only attempted i think 15 steals on the year so who then becomes the next guy because it can't just be all dylan cruz and it isn't right there's a ton of talent but who in your mind is the next most important i think it's got to be tommy white and especially since he also like the way the lineup shakes out it's usually like dylan cruz and then tommy white and so um yeah, and Tommy, like, even though he's had this shoulder injury, he's still been pretty consistent at the plate. I mean, he's still batting 395, and uh, he's got a 509 on base possession. Uh, whoa, on base uh, percentage. And uh, so he's uh, he's still, like, 
somebody who's aggressive at the plate and will get on base, um, you know, and he's obviously, we know what he can do from a home run standpoint. He's also hit like a, I think he might lead the team in doubles. I might have to check that. Yeah. So he's leading the team with seven doubles and he has five home runs right now. So he's also just a guy who can move guys who are on base. And so I think he would be your second most important um I mean, I would say Jared Jones, but I think that Jared is still like there's still elements of him being a true freshman. Uh, like right after he had hit his like four straight home runs, like the next at bat, you could tell he was kind of like swinging for the fences. <laughs> and you're like, oh, no, Jared, he's thinking about it, you know, like <laughs> um, but and, you know, he did sit out, I think, two games just to kind of like have like Jay was like, I need you to like watch and like maybe slow the game down because he wasn't like doing as well in his at bats, you know, and he was just kind of striking out. Um, so yeah, I would say Tommy white. It's impressive to see a true. I'm just, no matter what, you know, and I, those ups and downs are definitely probably going to come more so with him because of the, um, the, the fact that he's a true freshman, but those numbers are impressive, just like Tommy White last year, right? Like he he went on that unreal tear, and then he had a little bit of a dip too um, shortly after the beginning of the year, and then picked it back up. But that must be nice to be eighteen, oops, and, and be able to do that. <laughs> be able to like l- knock a home run four hundred and fifty nine feet that goes yeah. above the scoreboard in left field. Like, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, right. I could never dream of it. <laughs> yeah he's he's insane and his his swing is gorgeous too like he's he is such any you know and especially with sec play coming soon it's going to hit him quick and being a true freshman and facing sec friday night arms and sec saturday arms and it's definitely going to be a little difficult but you know you always see those high peaks and then there's like a little tick down and then you know adjust readjust and you see the peaks and the talent comes to fruition and one guy that intrigues me um is trey morgan um he's obviously he's different right and by different i mean he's freakishly athletic he played a lot of first base in the past it seems like they're trying him to play outfield he's a lot he there's pro scouts that he's the opposite right usually guys go from the outfield to first base he's the guy that could get drafted and go from first base to the outfield to pro scouts and he's one of the best defenders and i love his skill set what does he bring a different element compared to those other guys that hit the long ball and can impact the game in such a different way whereas he can just kind of flex his athleticism in so many different ways yeah so Trey's only been playing in the outfield because Tommy White couldn't play third base after his injury. And so in order to fit Jared Jones into the lineup, they moved Jared Jones to first base. They moved Trey Morgan to the outfield. And that way they could um, still have Tommy White as a designated hitter. Um, So that was kind of the adjustment, which is, it's a good one because he is pretty good in the outfield. Like, We've been able, we haven't seen a lot of him in the outfield until this year, and I've been pleasantly like surprised. You know, um, obviously he's very athletic in first base; like he's such a thrill to watch. And um, but as far as like being in the lineup, uh, you know he he hits the ball hard. They're usually like line drives. He's usually like kind of a guy who will get a single or a double, but he will get on base, and that's kind of his role. And so he did hit for the cycle, though, this year in order, which was pretty impressive. 
Um, so like, yeah, I think he wants to hit more home runs. He wants to get a little bit more like launch on that ball. I think that's what he's been working on this season is like the launch angle. And also I think last year he got a little out of himself for a while and was swinging at some balls. Um, and so, yeah, like that's his role this year is to be that guy who gets on base and also is the best first baseman in college baseball period. Like he is, he can he can get at least some of those outs that you know would maybe be an almost or maybe be a not an out. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're so deep; it's insane. Like we're just talking, and then like the last guy on offense we mentioned, it's like, oh yeah, he had a cycle this year in order. Um, oops. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like it's it's just. Well, I mean, Tommy it's impressive. White too. You talk about Tommy White; like all of his home runs have been opposite field. I know. Unbelievable. And we asked him, we're like, I mean, what what is that? Like, how do you do that? He's like, that's just how I hit. I'm like, that's just how you hit? Opposite <laughs> <laughs> field? It, it's funny Who because it, in our notes, I had a question for you that was, can Tommy White pull a home run? <laughs> I mean, it's just – that's, I mean, that's the team they have, and that's why they're so fun to watch. And, and obviously, SEC play starts this weekend, and um, a really tough test this weekend. Um, but it, what are you looking forward to most? Kind of coming up, what's kind of the questions can be answered? Because it kind of feels like, at least to me as an outside fan, that everything's kind of building towards that weekend that Trevor referenced, um, where they host Tennessee. Is that kind of where you're at as well? Oh my god, I'm so excited! Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be not only is it going to be fun from a baseball standpoint, but it's also going to be crazy. Like the right. town is going to shut down. Like it's going to be um, orange and purple everywhere. I mean, Tennessee fans, when they came in for the football game, oh. they were at the fall baseball scrimmage. Wow. A ton of them. Like you could see the orange and they all were like just kind of hanging out. I was like, now that. Because there's only, like, right now, as far as, like, SEC culture for college baseball, because, like, Mississippi State's not having a great year, right? Like, we know right. that. Ole Miss has great culture. They, you can count on them to show up. Tennessee, they are crazy. And so, and LSU, like, fans are crazy. And so, it's crazy meets crazy at home in Baton Rouge. I cannot wait for that series. But I also think that, like – um. I'm excited to go on the road and see some of these different places. It's kind of my favorite part of the job is like being able to see different atmospheres, except for Texas A&M because hook of horns. <laughs> um, I do not want to go there, but I'm going there. Uh, I will like, I'm going to South Carolina this year, which is a team that's like supposed to surprise a lot of us. And um, you know, I'm also going to Georgia. And so it'll be fun to kind of see these different places. Um, and Ole Miss, I get to go to Oxford. So I'll be really, that'll be a real, that'll probably be like my second favorite time, which will be um, going to Ole Miss and seeing how many like LSU fans invade that town. It'll also be like the same weekend as the Morgan Wallen concert. And oh. so that town's going to be like absolutely <laughs> packed with people. And it's going to be like super hick and I love it. So they're like, they're literally like, I, it's just everything that I am. It's like right there. Uh, so yeah, I think, you know, from a baseball standpoint, from an atmosphere standpoint, LSU versus Tennessee, LSU at Ole Miss, but even having Arkansas come to the box this year, like yeah. a tough SEC team come to the box other than Tennessee, the weekend after Tennessee, that'll be 
awesome too. It's going to be a great, it's the month of March. Like it's literally March madness in Baton Rouge. <laughs> it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's, that's kind of what makes the SEC so fun. Like it, it's sorry to everyone who gets mad, but it's the best conference just like it is in football. Like it is, it's just the facts. And like every weekend is like that where it does almost become like football, where winning those series does kind of feel like life or death a little bit and the rivalries and the passion. And, and um, that's fantastic. I, uh, I, I don't like Tennessee uh, or their fans. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on record there. So you you giving them credit was hard for me to, to hear. Also, uh, I'm glad you said it's gonna be super hick. That's something Trevor and I cannot get away with. So we haven't been in Carolina long enough to be able to say something like super hick. <laughs> what? Uh, I mean, like everything in the <laughs> SEC is like super hick, but like at the same time, like Ole Miss, like you're in Mississippi. Like I went to Starkville last year and I just like, I just remember like I went to a really nice Italian restaurant for dinner and I sit down at the bar and it's like one of those bars that are like so nice. You don't think there's going to be a TV and there yeah. was, and they had baseball on and the people next to me were talking about all the other teams in the SEC. And I was like, Oh my God. And then like, of course their specialty drink of choice is like an old fashioned, not a wine an old fashioned, at an Italian restaurant. Like that to me is Mississippi. Like this is Hicktown USA. Uh, but, but like Tennessee, I got to go to Vanderbilt, which like Vanderbilt's preppy. Like it's annoying. Right. But I was like, okay, you know, their fans aren't that fun. You know, they have the yeah. whistler, whatever. But like in these other towns that are kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, in the country, yeah, it's it's gonna be a hick time. <laughs> That's amazing. So I'm curious to one enjoy your time in Athens. Athens is gorgeous. I've been. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, what's the what's the favorite your favorite place you've been to? I guess last year, what was your favorite spot that you got to go to? As far as college baseball, yeah. What what town? Mm. Yeah. Um, I think Fayetteville. Um, I really, really liked, not only did I like the ballpark, um, and like the brisket nachos, um, (laughs) but, and like, they had a great crowd, great atmosphere, but it's just a really pretty town and, um, you know, lots of cool spots to eat, lots of cool bars to go to. Um, just also a great, like downtown to walk around. So I, I just thought it was beautiful. And like, I found a cool, like couple of running spots. I'm a runner. So I like finding those little like running trails on my road trips. That's really cool. If if I was, that's an awesome. Just take a run in every SEC college town you go to. That's like a kind of a cool thing <laughs> to try. do. That helps sometimes, you see it, right? Sometimes, like I went running, I went running in Florida too, and around their campus. But I had to like drive to the running spot because my like hotel was kind of in like a suburbia part of town, mm. which isn't as fun. Um, but yeah, I imagine Athens probably has some good like trails and stuff. Starkville, I thought, was probably like my second favorite as a college baseball town, just right. because like the dude is like something I think everybody who is a college baseball fan should go see because it's just an incredible ballpark. Although their press box view is awful, really, um, it's right along the third baseline, and I was on like the second level, so I couldn't see anything. Mm. I couldn't even see home plate. I was like literally like bending out the like can I like bend my <laughs> head out the window to kind of see what's going on and so I ended up just I think I ended up watching some of those games from the stands um but yeah it's still an incredible atmosphere I mean it's basically like a minor league ballpark 
except with rowdier fans, you know? That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, for any of our listeners who are wondering, this is the baseball Leo will be able to be firsthand at, at Texas A&M this coming weekend at home against Arkansas, and then Tennessee comes to Baton Rouge, and then at South Carolina, and then just such a tough weekend with Kentucky coming to town, and then at Ole Miss. So um, you are literally living Dan and I's dream, and probably a lot of college baseball fans' dream. So I'm sure that makes you very excited, and maybe you know Dan and I will talk about it. South Carolina is not too far from us, Columbia, so you'll be in our neck of the woods, and maybe we can get down there for a live game and, and link up and, and kind of link up in person and, and go from there. So, but we'll be respectful of your time today as much as we could probably go another hour talking about college baseball. Yeah. We really appreciate uh, you coming on and giving us so much detail about LSU. I know, I hope our listeners enjoyed the episode as much as I know I did. And I, I, we appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And yeah, y'all hit me up. I'll let you know when I'm in South Carolina. Awesome. That would be awesome. Well, to our listeners, make sure you're following Leah on all social channels to follow LSU baseball in as much detail as you could imagine. And as well as following all our social channels, um, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, following, we're posting the episodes and everything every time they're up and, and make sure you're using our Seat Geek promo code, Backside Ground Ball, $20 off your tick, first ticket purchase, uh, making sure we're getting out and seeing some live sporting events. But until next time, we'll see you guys on the next episode.